Welcome to a brand new episode of Seize the Moment podcast. And we want to welcome back a very, very special guest. We have Andy. Uh, he's the host of the Heart of an Outlaw show where he interviews entertainers in the hip hop music industry. He's also a musical uh, journalist writing for Hip Hop 24, having interviewed Tretch, Swifty McVeigh, and Angie Thomas. Uh, welcome back, Andy. It's good to have you on. Oh, thanks. Thanks for the invite once again. Always Absolutely. Good to talk to you guys. Absolutely, man. And so, you know, before we we started the show, when we had the idea of the show or what to make of it. So, I mean, and I want to get into this, but we wanted to start off talking about your show and some of the people that you interviewed. But as we started doing the show, and before rather we started doing the show, as we started talking to you, we were talking about what the NHS is like and the National Health Service system in the UK is like. So what's so interesting is that Alan and I agreed to start focusing on that first because I think it's so interesting for us as Americans. We don't have anything that's even close to the NHS. So everything here is pretty much profit-driven. And when you look at kind of what people see it as around the rest of the world, it's pretty much like, okay, Americans are greedy. They mostly care about money. And then like everywhere else in the world, like you have like these great systems, right? Essentially government-funded, government-run, whatever, regulated, et cetera. So can you tell us about what your experiences have been like of it and essentially what's been going on in terms of the protests that you were mentioning earlier? yeah yeah i mean it's it's really bad over it at the moment um i know you guys obviously you you, you uh you you pay for all your medical yeah um, your medical needs and, and whatnot over here it's dnhs where at the moment it's free and it's been free for all my lifetime it's been free for for, for me my parents my grandparents um going way back but um at the moment i think it's going down the road of privatization where we're gonna we're gonna be after paying for all our medical stuff but it's it's gone it's gone the way because of conservative government cuts over the last 15 20 years more so um where basically nurses are getting the nhs is underfunded um nurses midwives doctors are very underpaid mm-hmm. um, some nurses are going 14 15 hours shift not even taking a break wow. so it's, it's on its knees the nhs is on its knees um you know I've been having a few issues with my family, my parents and my grandparents, even my, my son um, lately. He's been trying to get hold of doctors, GPs, um, and, and basically we're just having the door shut on our faces where we need this care now, but it's it's not coming, it's not there. Mm-hmm. Now, I've been told for an appointment where going back maybe 10, 15 years for an appointment, it would have been straight away, pretty much either the same day or the next day. Mm-hmm. Now it's gone from like the next day to six month, seven month waiting list, mm-hmm. which, you know, young people, especially young people and, and old people, you know, the vulnerable people that need the appointments now and the appointments are not there because the NHS is on its knees with the, the underfunded, uh, the cuts coming from governments, uh, conservative like government governments. And just like you said, yeah, we've been having protests and rightly so. You know, people are pushing back. Um, we've had we've had years and years of cuts, and just like two, three weeks ago, we had ten or fifteen um, major protests up and down the country in England, mm-hmm. um, basically pushing back these cuts. You know, making a stand, making some noise against against the conservative cuts mm-hmm. uh, to the NHS. So yeah, it's, it's in a it's in a bit of a dire dire place at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, uh, imagine, I mean, if I had a, let's say, um, let's say I was living in the UK and let's say I wanted to see like a therapist or something like that. The fact that I'd have to wait 
however long, you know, months or whatever to see someone all while I'm having whatever going on in my head. It's affecting my family. It's affecting my friends. It's affecting my own life. Right. I mean, having the ability to see somebody right away would, I mean, it's not even a guarantee even then, but at least then I have like a fighting chance to maybe change some stuff up. Right. But with those kinds of wait times, who, who knows uh, how that adds to the issues I might be having or something like yeah, that. Yeah, because here it's yeah. like about a two-week wait period to see either a therapist or a psychiatrist. So a psychiatrist may be sometimes a little longer, so it could be maybe a month, but even that's like nothing. What are the wait times there for psychology or, or psychiatry? You're talking up to a year, wow. sometimes even longer. I mean, um, Whoa. last year I had, a, I had a bit of a mental episode myself and went through mm-hmm. them services, and it wasn't good. I was discharged, but I needed help, um, mm-hmm. and it just wasn't there. Luckily, I had family and support, friends support there. But mm-hmm. it, the system—it's not—it's not supporting the vulnerable who who need it. You know, um, I, what four or five weeks ago, just uh, in September, I had someone who I went to school with commit suicide. Now I don't mm-hmm. know the ins and outs, but it's mental health over, especially for men as well. Mental health is a is a massive struggle, um, mm. and the young too. Um, like like I say, I, I was saying off camera before, um, the, the the young people services, where mental health services, it's not good. You know, the, you having you having young people in classrooms or young people in schools or whatever whatever surroundings, and they need help now, not six, seven, eight month, twelve month waiting list. And that's where it is at the moment in this country. It's getting worse by by the month. So yeah. what are they? So what are they essentially doing? Like with kids who are either like lashing out or you know just misbehaving or whatever, you know, kind of getting into trouble, getting into fights or whatnot. So if you can't see them, or if they you can't get them to see like a school therapist or even get them therapy outside of school, what did they do? How did they sort of deal with them at that point? Uh, yeah, I, I've uh, I have um, experience in that uh, mm. of late um, with with my eldest and. It, is is lashing out for a reason you can't control his emotions uh mm-hmm. these, these these kids can't control the emotions whether whether it's you take a look at the bigger picture maybe it's something to do with lockdown or you know we, yeah kids over here was uh, away from school for over two years you know they was told not to go out they was told not to mingle with anyone not mm-hmm. to go in the classroom it was all over zoom and then they, they thrash right back in and a lot of them can't cope with that. A lot, of, a, a lot of kids can't cope with that, and the emotions that built up, mm-hmm. um, and the lost, lost friendships, and you know, it's affected, affected a lot of kids um, mentally. You know, so these, these kids, specifically uh, young people in the classroom, they're lashing out, lashing out at the peers, teachers, and the way they deal with it is suspension, wow. kicking them out, exclu- even permanent exclusion. Um, even the police, the police maybe have been called, um, meetings with parents, but although the parents are trying to, you know, trying to do the best and try to, you know, get help for children or, or whatnot, it's, the help's not there. So you, you're basically talking to, a, talking to a wall. You might as well talk to that. To, you're getting the door slammed in your face by these services. Wow. You know, because of the, again, it's because of the cuts. You know, we've been told, you know, the school's been told, you're looking at 12 month waiting list. It's, it's not good at all. It isn't mm-hmm. good at all. And, and I'm going through it personally with, with my eldest, but I know several other parents from different schools in my area who are going through the exact same thing. 
And this only creates a problem maybe for in two or three years' time when the age of criminality, which over here in the UK is 10. So these kids wait, now wait, 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 uh, Sorry, Andy, what does that wait, what does that mean? So how, how, so if the age of criminality is 10, what does that mean? That they could be tried at 10 years old? You could be arrested, yeah. Get the fuck now. out. Yeah. Wow, yeah. man. Whoa. So, you know, as parents, um, on a personal level, as parents, I own that. So I'm, right. I'm trying, I'm trying my hardest, you know, to get him help from maybe educational psychologists and, mm-hmm. you know, don't, don't get me wrong. The schools, the school's been great, but they're contacting NHS, um, the, and different other services, mental health services and mm-hmm. the funding, the funding just isn't there. And it all comes down to funding. It all comes down to government cuts and it's time to take a stand. And that's what we should be doing. And people should be waking up and, you know, our, our young people shouldn't be suffering. You know, I, it, uh, it, it takes a strain out of the, the family unit, which mm-hmm. nobody wants. And, you know, we've got, you know, bringing added stress into the family home and uh, it has a knock-on effect with everything. Right. right. And, 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 co- and COVID, for example, right? I mean, mm-hmm. because of that, I mean, people uh, saw that, really you could you know things can be locked down your your ability your freedom could be taken right i mean there were reasons for that but the point is that it it kind of probably built up in people like this uh sort of like uh tension or or anger right where they're they're even more willing to you know take action more willing to uh protest right and before you were saying like covid had uh, the pandemic had a huge impact on uh children but also on us too, right? I mean, uh, for me, like, right, I mean, after being read, you know, sitting at home all day for like two years, and then trying to interact again with people, it was so different. Because when you'd go around with the mask before, and you're walking down the same block, and somebody's coming towards you, you, you first of all, you have to be a certain distance from them, right? So you can't even be next to them. And then I got used to also not even looking at people when I used to, you know, you walk down the street, you kind of, you might, you know, you're not like staring at somebody, but you'll give them like a, a look or just, you notice them. I got so used to that, that even now we're not even really having to wear masks outside, but I'll still notice myself walking down the street and somebody's walking this way, very close. And I still don't even look at them, which is kind of bad you know i'm trying to rework that but um no it's also it's new york so i I don't know andy if you've ever been here but like you can't really make eye contact with people they get pretty offended by that (laughs) so that plus covid and all that it's it's rough you know even relating to other people like before you like you you had to not be next to them you know or dating or whatever Mm -hmm. like getting used to all of that it's it's interesting it's like relearning how to be you know yeah so I can't imagine how it is even for, for kids, because when you're at a young age and like two years of your life, you know, especially if you're young is, you know, locked down or in a pandemic, that's probably even more impressionable on somebody than, you know, if you had like 20, 30, 40 years, 
and then you have that so. right and then so andy and then with the protests man like so is it that it, so here in the u.s like we have like significant grassroots movements like so i'm sure you probably know like with aoc bernie sanders obviously like a lot of the dem socialists i mean there's there we have like these these groups have like thousands of people behind them right if not even millions probably but like do you guys have anything like that there where you have like strong grassroots movements behind the protests or is it just like a couple of people doing that um, it's it's more than like the unions. We have unions. Uh, okay, but yeah. that's it, right? It's not. It's like the locals aren't really getting involved, though. No, not not really. Mm. I mean, it's, mm. it's it's on a national level, but it's more more different unions. So right. different unions can maybe come together and they'll protest in, let's say, a major city like Manchester, um, and then a major city like London, maybe on mm. the same day or different days. Yep. Uh, but just uh, two or three weeks ago, we we had a major um, like uh, ten fifteen major cities hit the same day uh, and of course that causes disruption and that's uh, maybe maybe their angle what they're coming out maybe disruption disrupt uh, the, the 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 road networks disrupt um any any big major events that maybe maybe the government are planning of course we had the queen pass away uh, yeah, yeah. last uh, yeah. last month mm -hmm. and um there, there was there was plans to put in place maybe maybe pro major protests then, which I wouldn't agree with, of course. Uh, but that's their angle that they're coming at. Different unions, um, whether it's the NHS, um, some are NHS, some are for workers' rights. Different, all all different workers' rights, and mm -hmm. just coming together and protesting on the same day. Yeah, um, which is maybe that that's what the angle they're they're concentrating on. Mm -hmm. So, and I mean, obviously you probably don't obviously necessarily know the answer to this and that's okay, but I am curious. So, cause in the U S like we're heavily political, right? Depending on, I mean, regardless rather of what side you're on, I mean, everybody here has a fucking political opinion. So well, what's that like in the UK? Like, are you, so I know you said before that, you know, it's mostly kind of unions, but is it that most people aren't that politically involved or what's going on? Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah. I definitely okay. agree with that. For myself, I've, I've never voted. Um, okay. I've never voted because. I believe the politicians only care about themselves. Mm -hmm. Politicians over here, anyway, uh, the MPs, they only care about themselves, lying in their own pockets, the, the friends, the families. Mm -hmm. And that's how it's been for years. And for, for me, radical change needs to happen when it will be protests. And the bigger, the better, the more angry, the better. Mm -hmm. You know, make noise as, as, as much as you can. Uh, and I think because a lot of people, don't have trust in politicians, MPs, don't have trust in the policies. Once they get elected, they go back on the promises. Like we've right. seen it now with um, Liz Trust. She's doing U-turns like I don't know what. Right. Uh, mm. the, the previous prime, prime minister, Boris Johnson, he was... The well, same. that's, yeah, I mean, he was always a scumbag. So with Liz, what's yeah. her party? Uh, conservative, same party. Oh, that, that's why, that's why, yeah, man. Yeah. yeah. So, with, I mean, we, we have the same issue here with conservatives, too. I mean, they all do the same stuff. Like Mitt Romney, a million years ago now, there was, uh, so there were, like, a bunch of videos and whatever else, like, articles about how he was, like, how he tended to flip-flop. And so the argument from conservatives were, like, oh, well, he's allowed to change his mind. And it's like, no, look at the pattern of how often he changes his views. One day he'll say one thing, then the next day he'll say the opposite, and then the day after that he'll go back to his original point. So, yeah, conservatives do tend to do that i mean not to shit on them but it is a fact mm. yeah exactly exactly it's the, the, the party for the rich party yeah. for the rich yeah and they but, and then so how come so in terms of i know um what's his name corbyn was doing well for a while with the labor party what's going on there oh with the labor party yeah um to be honest that i can't see any party over here 
Mm-hmm. I can't see any party at the moment over it. If the Labour Party get get in, this 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 drawbacks to their policies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they want to borrow a lot more, uh, mm-hmm. where the Conservatives want to want to want to restrict. So yeah, you you you. It's rob robbing rob, robbing the rich to to feed the poor, but but the same thing with the with the Labour Party policies is, you know, I, I don't I don't see I don't see any of the parties looking at the manifestos, looking at the policies. I don't see any party that's for the people. I just see, I I just I just see doom and gloom, and that's oh, what wow. a lot of people, thousands of people over here at the moment. You know, I seeing that, and they, they don't trust the government. They don't trust whether you're Labour, conser- more so Conservative, of course. Conservatives mm. have been in control over here for what 15, 16, 17 years. What? And it could it even is. be argued that Tony Blair was a Conservative too. True. Mm-hmm. Fact. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when, when he was in, when he was in power, I was in like school, so I didn't really have interest. But going mm-hmm. going back off what what I know now, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, man. He was like, well, we had with the Clintons here. I mean, he's the equivalent. I, I, whatever, I don't want to shit on Hillary too much, but he was like the equivalent of a centrist, if not like more conservative, kind of like midline Republican here. Yeah, sure, sure. Mm-hmm. I, all I see is doom and gloom. Yeah, that's so, yeah, because that's so wild, man. Because I mean, the question is then it's like you have this system that's government funded, and essentially there are there is no privatization, at least you know probably scarcely. And then so I mean, essentially, then how would people possibly get together to obviously change it if the system is run by a government that they're perceived as being corrupt? Exactly, exactly. Wow. And there was there was talk a few weeks ago where, where they was trying to ban protests. That that's mm-hmm. how bad it is. You know, ban pro ban protests for this, ban pro- protest, stop people from walking out and picketing. Like this, wow. this um, wow. are you familiar with uh, Royal Mail? No, what's that? Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, wait. No, no, no. I'm thinking of Daily Mail. No, wrong, wrong. I'm thinking of the the, the newspaper. No, that's no, different. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, we have we have something called the Royal Mail over here. <laughs> it's um, it's government funded, uh, but they're walking out a lot. They've got coming up to Christmas because people are sending Christmas cards, packages, presents from all over the all over the globe, yeah. and now they're walking out now overpay. Which rightly so, they've not had a pay rise and God knows how many years. Mm-hmm. You know, they've been overworked, they're overstretched, you know. Um, so they're what they're, they're now planning on doing a series of walkouts over in the coming weeks and months, building up to obviously Christmas, one of the busiest periods of the year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they've got probably 10, 15 walkouts before before Christmas. Wow. So that's uh, I mean, you, you take the NHS, you take the postal service. Right. You know, take um, the 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 um, warehousing uh, uh, companies. They're all doing the same. They're all trying to protest over better pay, better pay, uh, job security. But the, the the conservative government don't seem to want to know. They're but- all on about you know uh, cutting cutting commun- community centres, com- cutting funding for the NHS, cutting funding for mental health. You know, it's all cut, cut, cut at the moment, and people now are starting to push back. Right. Yeah, there was this really great article here in the U.S. on Politico. It was uh, it was called something like Obamacare sinking ship. And what's so interesting about that is when you start reading it, you're like, yeah, you know, this is going to be like an assault on how terrible Obamacare was. But it's actually not that. So the argument that the person made, and I mean, this article I read this like four or five years ago, or whatever it was. But essentially, the article, the art, the uh, the article writer was essentially saying something along the lines of like, look, man, he's like Obamacare was sabotaged pretty much from the get go. It had a certain standard of care that it needed in terms of financial 
financial input. Uh, it didn't get that. It didn't get anywhere close to that. So it's like in order for them to make it work, they essentially had to negotiate with obviously, you know, the Republicans across the line. And when they did, essentially the Republicans were like, yeah, we'll fund it, but we're not going to give you exactly what you're looking for. So what happens, right? You have competition. And then essentially what the insurance companies are going to say is, hey, we can't afford this. So we're going to need to raise premiums. Then regular people are like, oh my God, my premium is so high. Fuck Obamacare. You see, it made it even worse than it was before, but it, it actually didn't. If anything, the premiums pretty much stayed the same. They weren't worse. But the point is, is because it's not really funded. And then also because like the rule is unenforceable where they have the like, uh, where essentially everybody's like mandated to opt in. There's really nothing you could do about that. I mean, you know, sure you can say like, what are they going to do? You're not going to arrest people for that. So essentially what you had is that you had an underfunded insurance company or insurance companies. And then you had people who weren't opting in, especially younger people like college age kids, because they didn't want fucking healthcare. I didn't either at the time, by the way, I was guilty of this too. I did not want health. I was like, I'm not paying for this shit. Um, and then essentially what happened was it's like, you know, you had this kind of debacle where insurance companies kept raising premiums and out of pocket costs. And then they were saying, you know, uh, the kind of critics of Obamacare were like, yeah, see, this, this is bullshit. This is never going to work. It's all the same crap. Like, it, sure, maybe more people are on it now, but also more people are on it, but they're paying these same premiums that we were paying before. I'll tell you something cool since we're actually on that topic. Sure. So, I mean, it's not necessarily cool, but during the whole COVID pandemic, um, because of that, what happened is like, at least in New York state, what they did is they, they rate. So the way that people get in, uh, certain kinds of insurance is based on their income and how many people are living in home at home. Yeah. So what they did is they made it so that, okay, even if you have like a higher income, you might still be able to get that lower cost or no cost insurance and, and that kind of thing. And there was this one type of plan. Uh, it's like uh, an Obamacare plan. But the basic? It, uh, so it's something called an essential yeah, plan. The basic, long story yeah. short. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's great. It, what's fantastic about it is that if somebody's making between, let's say, I would say 20000 to maybe $27,000, $28,000. So maybe like uh, if it's a college student working part-time. Oh, I had it. Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. what's great is people used to pay every month for that plan. 30 bucks. Uh, yeah, 20 or 40 or something. Mm -hmm. I, I know it's 30 for me. Well, during the pandemic, they actually removed the premium from that plan and they still keep it removed. So if somebody is a, like a lower income very sort nice. of person, but there's, they still have some kind of income, yeah, they actually yeah. still have like a kind of a relatively free insurance. They're just paying like yeah. uh, uh, co-pays uh, for it. Yeah, they're, they're just not paying the premium. Yeah, yeah. which is kind of, it's kind of cool. I mean, yeah, no, I understand really there's the pandemic that kind of yeah. Yeah. And, and by the way, man, so just I mean, look, not to shit on insurance companies, because during the pandemic here, what they did was they actually waived all fees for insurance for people who are insured. So it's like, let's say if you were getting telehealth, yeah, if you were going in for screenings, if you were coming in for like, just, you know, whatever GP follow ups, if you were even coming in for psychotherapy. So dude, for the for uh, during the pandemic, none of my patients paid anything, no out of pocket costs because the insurance companies covered all of it. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. wow. That was something that really was something. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, I, no, go ahead. Man. Yeah, I mean the, the the pandemic. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how you guys feel. The pandemic pandemic's got a, a lot to um a lot to answer for. I think to be to be honest, you know, with the with the the lockdowns and some some GP surgeries over here, some doctors are not even seeing patients, even still. Mm -hmm. It's all online, you know, via an email. Mm -hmm. So you know, we we were trying to get appointments and. You can't even see a doctor face to face. Wow! So not too sure. I'm not too sure why. You know why? Why we're we doing this? You know we've not had a lockdown in what year? Year and a half. 
Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, no, it's not like that. Because I mean, a lot of people are doing telehealth now, but that's just because it's kind of feasible for them. It's not really about health concerns per se, even though some might say it is. But for the most part, no, you can go to a doctor here. You could go to a doctor, you pretty much all therapists, like I don't, I don't want to ever want to go back to the office. But most therapists are not working from home anymore. I mean, they have their office space back and they're seeing clients. It's literally at this point, it's like nothing ever happened here. Wow. Wow. That contrast to what's happening in England at the moment. That's, that's interesting. Madness. madness. Yeah. This is this is gonna sound really dumb, really unqualified, but okay. just for fun. Unqualified yeah. Alan. Here unqualified Alan. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> you, he's got an opinion. Yeah. <laughs> so uh do you think that the doctors are uh like lazy and they just liked the whole virtual visit thing? And then yeah. now that like COVID's less of a concern with all the antiviral yeah. treatments, uh vaccine booster shots even with that they just don't want to return to the old way of doing it i mean that's yeah yeah i think i think they got used to working from home and don't want to go back to the office or i mean for for an example um my wife my wife had a a chest infection two weeks ago Mm -hmm. and um they they prescribed her some antibiotics that didn't work so she rang up and she got kind of fobbed off The, the, the the kind of no, 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 we're not dealing with you. We give you antibiotics. So, of course, me, I've got a mouth on me. I rang back mm-hmm. um, at a certain time to tell you to ring between eight and half past eight in the morning. Um, mm-hmm. Surgery opens at half past eight. So they tell you to ring if it's urgent or if it's, you know, get urgent appointments between eight, eight and half past eight. So mm-hmm. I rang up at eight o'clock in the morning. Um, between eight and ten past, I think I got through. There was about a ten-minute wait. Um, got through. I said, look, my wife's got a severe chest infection. Don't really want to go to A and E. Don't really want to be sat there for six hours waiting. Right. Uh, it's not an A and E job. Um, don't really want to go to hospital. She needs different antibiotics. Explain the situation. Mm-hmm. She, can you ring back at half past eight? And this is like twenty minutes or so. I said mm-hmm. you can deal with me now. Like <laughs> now, I'm, I'm asking. Like my wife's struggling to to breathe because of the, the chest infection. Right. So we don't we don't want A and E. It's antibiotics that she needs. Oh, that this line's only open for people who's having a heart attack and a stroke. I said, to be honest, I said that's a bit of a joke and a bit of a farce. Mm-hmm. I said, if I was, if she was having a heart attack or a stroke, I certainly won't be ringing my doctors yeah. on the on the hold for ten minutes. Right. I'd be ringing nine 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 straight to A and E. And so I put the phone down, rang back twenty minutes later. She gave me the appointment um, for later later in that day. She got different antibiotics. Within two or three days, she was cleared up. Oh wow! But this, okay. Yeah, this is the issue that we're having where. The doctors seem lazy. They don't want to deal with people, uh, mm. whether that's reception, um, the doctors themselves, nurses, don't like giving appointments out these days. Mm. It, it's, it's, it's crazy to, to speak to you guys and where it's pretty much back to normal. Well, I'll say this. So we, we're making it sound like it's kind of nice for certain things in, in terms of like insurance and doctors, but Actually, yeah, it's kind of similar here too, in terms of uh, if, if, for example, um, you needed to have a, a service done, like you need to have like a surgery and then you're waiting for an authorization, uh, like there, there's a special thing you have to do to get it approved. So this way you can have it covered by the insurance. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's say it's not. And then like that person's like really needs it and they start, they're trying to fight for it. They call the doctor's office. They're like, can you help with this? Can you fix this? Can you do something else to make it approved? Blah, blah, blah. Sure. That's such a, it becomes a, an incredible hassle. And I used to work at a doctor's office. I, 
I've seen a lot of things like people really needed certain kinds of medicines approved or whatever. And the amount of time that it takes, like sometimes it'll come to a solution, but the amount of time that it takes to get to that, it's a little bit uh, ridiculous. It's things that you kind of need right away. And our system's kind of weird for how things get approved and what counts as like what they call medically necessary. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, it's not perfect with that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you, I'm with you. Sounds a lot better than here at the moment, though. Oh, it is, yeah, no matter what. I mean, no matter how you kind of spin it. All right, guys, so let's move on to, like, lighter topics and some things, I guess... So Kanye West. No! (laughs) So (laughs) something more fun. All right, so Andy, obviously, we've been keeping up with your show for the past year, man. Like, you've had some really epic guests, right? Uh, We talked about DJ Yella and his appearance on your show before, before we started filming. Obviously, we talked... Well, I mean, uh, we didn't talk about this yet. Uh, Tretch, Tretch was a big one who Mm -hmm. I can't wait to hear about. We uh, there's you know at some point an episode coming out with Bizarre Swifty McVeigh was on your show which was really dope right that yeah. was a really cool one all right man so out of all of the guests that you've had so far can you talk about some of the ones that are most significant to you not not to say that one person is more important than the other but the ones that have been more meaningful or most meaningful to you and what have you learned from them especially about sort of the old hip hop days about maybe their relationships with Tupac uh, sort of projects or whatever they have going on so what what did you take away from it sure I mean. Probably my favorite one, hands down, is probably Mo Primshiko. Yeah, is, uh, that was cool. Tupac's brother. Um, without doubt, hands down, the, the, the best because, because, you know, obviously he's the closest to Tupac. He was right. around in, in the Thug Life days. He was, you know, he was part of Thug Life. And, you know, he was around growing up with Pac and being around him, you know. And although he wasn't a long interview, it was the most meaningful uh, because he was the most close closest to to Tupac himself. Yep. Um, you know, of course, Tretch. Tretch is another one. Um, back uh, back last month, and we interviewed him on there September the thirteenth, of course, which is yep. which is the most one of the most iconic days in in hip hop in hip hop uh, history with the of course death of Tupac Shakur. So mm-hmm. you know, to get to talk to uh, Tretch, he was again he was very close to Tupac. Um, back in the early nineties, and you know. He, and of course, he he's remained loyal even to this day. He yeah, he has a he has a tattoo of him on his arm. He has literally he the does. full figured yeah he, the full figured tattoo of Fuck on his arm. Yeah, he does. He does. You know, I'm one of my regrets from that actual interview is I had noted him in, in, in my mind to, to to see the tattoo and mm-hmm. completely, you know, completely uh, uh, slipped me slipped my mind and I come off the interview. I thought, oh damn, I didn't ask <laughs> to see the. I didn't ask to see his Tupac, um, his Tupac tattoo, but I seen him back over in 2011 in concert. Uh, he was supporting Ice Cube when Ice Cube oh, did, did um, "I Am the West" uh, tour. He, he did a world tour. He did uh, the UK, UK leg of the tour. Night by Nature was the opening act. Mm-hmm. So I, I actually seen him uh, perform with Ice Cube, and when he was performing uh, "Naughty by Nature's hits" uh, right before Ice Cube come on. He obviously took his shirt off and he poured Hennessy on the two pat tattoo. Right. What? Yeah, man, that was that, that was so dope. Yo, that's so cool. and every, that, that was like iconic. It was like no way. He's like, if, when I ride, you ride. You know, when when I wow. <laughs> yeah, and you just poured Hennessy or 
and it was Drake's right in front of me. That was an icon. That's <laughs> so fucking dope, man. Yeah, That's yeah. yeah, I actually got to see Tretch. Um, when was it? Twenty seventeen. Uh, so they did uh like a yeah they did a concert. It was Casey and JoJo Genuine, which was he dude for people who hate Genuine. I don't fucking understand that this guy like he he sings songs from like twenty years ago and like his shows yeah. are jam packed. Like he, he fills out yeah. stadiums. Right. So it was at one twelve Genuine Casey and JoJo and literally so Casey and JoJo do a tribute to Pac. So they do how do you want it as soon you know the place goes nuts as soon as they start playing how do you want it mm-hmm. and then they're like this is for Pac. like Pac would always be our n-word you know and everybody's like yeah fucking Pac, right and then out of nowhere all you hear is like and i'm like wait is that fucking i'm like why are they playing treacher why are they playing naughty by nature and your trench comes out of nowhere so he does a surprise appearance yeah so he did hip-hop hooray uh he did obviously opp and i think maybe there was one more song that he did so yeah and they did like a full tribute to pox it was casey and jojo and trench on stage such a dope show man yeah he's so he's so energetic as well you know when he's performing you know he really does put um really does put his his heart into it yeah man uh, I, I I kind of conveyed that to him and you know give him his give him his flowers while while he's still here because we we're losing so many legends of uh, the, the 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 music industry or hip hop um, hip hop industry at the moment of course Coolio passed away not too long ago and, right, yeah. and so so many people who are dying and and just just to speak to this legend Tretch you know from the from the nineties and he's still making hits today um, but yeah we, he he was another one course um yeah and what did you take away from him especially in terms of his relationship with Pac? because that was an important part of your show with him sure sure i mean i asked i asked about about how how do you think the legacy's going and um you know and, and he basically turned, just turned around and said look you know you've got people like us talking about pack people all across the globe are still t- talking about tupac you know and this is you know it's an artist who died in 1996, and we're still right. we're still here talking about him, and he's he's more relevant now, probably now than than even back then. Back then he was relevant, but now we're talking about you know the Black Lives Matter, this you know standing up to standing up to government, standing up to you know for, for your people, and that's mm-hmm. basically what he said in that interview where you know Pat would be proud for for his people to be to be standing up for 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 something, and 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 his legacy is still here because. People are still talking about him, you know, and, and that's what Tupac said in his in, in, in his interviews, where he said, "I want my name to be here years to come. I want my name to to, to be still here," and yeah. that's what's happening. And so he he, he kind of he, he kind of pushed that point home that he's going to be here forever. You know, Pac is going to be here forever, and you know, as long as people are still talking about him, bumping his music, and you know, keeping his memory alive, he's mm-hmm. going to be here forever. So yeah, he basically pushed that point home. Say what you need to say, because I actually have a question for you. Oh yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. So I was reading an article, literally, I think it was yesterday. Mm-hmm. So Suge Knight's son says that Tupac is alive. Yeah, I in know. Malaysia. Oh god, we know. yeah, we. I think we all we all know. <laughs> no, no, no. I know, and mm-hmm. I, I'm like, oh come on, another one. Napoleon would have told us. He would have been like, bro, Pac's alive, guys. Like, don't film this. Or maybe not. <laughs> he said. He said. He said if he told anyone, like anyone who knows this secret, yeah. you know, we'll get. You know, oh, they'd get killed, right? By yeah, who? By, I don't know. By Pox mercenaries. Yeah. But, well, what do you want to? <laughs> yeah. So wait. So if you had to guess, why do you think that? Why do you think that Tretch got that tattoo? What do you think his reasoning was? Honestly, uh, so this way he can still be alive, like in a way. <laughs> no. So the reasoning is when he gets laid, Pox gets laid at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
he actually says, yeah. can, 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 I, can I cut? Can I, can I swear? Please. Oh, no. Yeah, dude, I swear all the time here. You do it. <laughs> he actually said, um, uh, not in the interview, he said on the live performance, don't know about the live performance you, you, you seen, uh, you saw of him. Uh, he actually says, when you fuck, I fuck up, when I fuck, you fuck. Yeah. <laughs> and I think what he said, that's because he got the tattoo and that, he was dripping the Hennessy on him and yeah. he was saying, when I fuck, you fuck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think he so, said yeah, that. I, in, uh, I, I, he, he did say that, yeah. Yeah, I think he said that in the Thug Angel uh, DVD from like a million years ago, from like 2002 or three or whatever that was. Yeah, yeah, he may, he mentioned that there. So no, so in the show that I went to, he didn't really talk in it. He just like did the sh he performed the songs. So no, there was like no, uh, there were no, because it wasn't his show. It wasn't like he was just a guest. It was a guest appearance or whatever. But yeah, man, but like, yo, the story is really wild. And I was like, damn, yo, I hope my homies do that for me when I die. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll get a tattoo of, of Leon and Bro, like, well, at least play the podcast or something at the time, you know? <laughs> He's here forever. He's here forever. <laughs> yeah, man. It's so and, yeah, and then from what I know about their relationship, and obviously, I mean, I don't know Trench personally, but like, yeah, man, he was a really great friend to him. And it's it was really dope to see because out of all the people who like continue to ride for him and stand up for him, Trench was like one of the top five guys, man, outside of the outlaws, obviously. Definitely, most definitely. I mean, I did mention to him about how he he, he kind of it was part of that show where they inducted him to the Hall of Fame. Yeah, he performed. I think it was a verse off Hail Mary. Yeah, and uh, you could just see the passion. He's pacing all over the stage. He's taking his scarf scarf mm -hmm. off. He's taking his coat off. And uh, I basically said, you know, your passion comes through. Your passion shines through, especially you know when you're talking about your dear friend Tupac. And um, he, he was just. It was it, it was so dope to speak to him and you know, give him his flowers while he's still here. Yeah, man. Yeah, and it seemed like he really appreciated it, which was obviously really dope. And again, he just seems like a really cool and just down to earth guy. Definitely. definitely. Yeah. Oh, what was uh, Swifty like? Oh, Swifty. Swifty was. God. <laughs> he was crazy. Yeah, Swifty was great. I've interviewed him twice. Yeah. Um, the first one, um, back in twenty twenty, I think it was twenty one. Mm -hmm. Um. No, yeah, it was a while. Yeah, the first one was a while ago. Yeah, uh, early last year, I think it was. Mm -hmm. um, and then I interviewed him uh, last summer. Mm -hmm. So just over, what, 12, 13 months ago. And um, that was a shorter interview, but he's he's just so cool to talk to. He's really cool to talk to because, you know, I grew up on, of course, Tupac in the 90s, other 90s hip-hop. And the soundtrack to, 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 my, uh, to my high school was like, of course, you Tupac, you Dre, you Snoop, D12. Yeah, you know, they yeah. was they was big over here. You know, with the, the single purple pills. Mm -hmm. you know, just to speak to him, I, I did say that like to him, like it was a bit, a bit. I was a bit starstruck because obviously with, with D12 over here was massive. It was it was major. Mm -hmm. You know, of course, and um, but yeah, he was so cool to, to talk to. Dead down to earth. You know, um, he was great. Yeah. What what did he tell you about it? Like his time on the road, sort of obviously making music with Eminem out of all people. Sure, sure. The one thing I took from um, uh, Swifty was uh, we, we talked about the Up in Smoke tour. Yeah, that's so, one of the greatest tours in the world. Yeah, ever. Yeah, definitely, mm -hmm. definitely. And that's what I said to him. Like, will we basically will we ever see one of them again? Not necessarily with new artists, but with the original. With the original cast, basically, right. like Cube, Dre, you know, Snoop, all on one stage. I mm. mean, of course, this was before, uh, this was before the um, uh, the Super Bowl. Yeah. So that, that kind of 
not yeah, yeah. The toy, which so, is the something so a little similar yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah so he said why not they're up for it so mm-hmm. he kind of left it open but I, I asked him a question where what does he remember from from the up in smoke uh, talk mm-hmm. and uh, one of the things comes to mind where he said every time dot stray performed they was there the front row mm-hmm. so they'd stop doing what they do backstage they'll go go basically front row and yeah. they'll be watching Dot Stray, Dot and Snoop Dogg. Um, every single time, Dre performed. He was just like a, like a student. I think he he said that we was like a student just in awe watching him. Mm-hmm. So that's something that I, t- I took from that interview. It was like, wow, the, the, these guys were literally, you know, shoulder to shoulder with with Dre. Of course, with them, there was touring with them. Um, and of course, I asked about how, how was it, you know making music with Eminem and mm. um, he, he told me about how, how the struggles that Eminem had because of his skin colour and uh, what struggles he had coming up and basically the hate that he got because of his white, you mm. know, he, he was he was accused of uh, trying to make black music white and this, that and the other. So I had a really good conversation about that. And in, in the words of Swifty McVeigh, hip hop is for everyone. It's not just for black people. It's not for just for white people. It's for everybody. It's a major it's a major thing, you know, but, you know, in 2022 now, you know, it's, it's in everyone's homes, it's everyone's cars, you know, back in the nineties, back in the eighties and nineties, it wasn't, it was, you know, uh, I think Tretch actually said it, Tretch, Tretch said it not too long ago. Uh, when I interviewed him, he said something that was perceived to be here for just five, 10 years, maybe a fad has now stretched to it's, it's 50 years, it's, it's 50 years anniversary this year, or is it next year? That I don't know. Mm-hmm. 50, wow. 50, pretty close yeah. yeah so it's celebrating it's 50 years of um of being around hip-hop culture yeah you know so it's still going yeah what's so uh no real quick it just yeah at the time when eminem was out right i mean the only other what famous white rapper and i don't even think he counts Ooh. this vanilla ice he counts no he yo you know what people shit on him he actually does count man he, no but he it's was, not my kind of style no he was but he was decent and people are gonna be like oh, i can't believe you say vanilla ice was good vanilla ice was a good rapper Grab a table girl. and menu yeah he was a good fucker. And here's the thing yeah. i guess if you accuse him of not writing his songs which maybe he didn't that i actually don't know but the songs themselves were fucking good oh yeah that beat yeah, well, that's that not, yeah, 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 under pressure. That wasn't under pressure. That was all him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. If you've ever seen Vanilla Ice, he's like, no, no, no. That wasn't. That was our beat. He's like, the difference between the two was like under pressure is ding, 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 ding. Minus ding, 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 ding. And it's like, shut the fuck <laughs> up, dude. Shut the fuck up. Like clearly, I mean, which is fine because hip hop is known to sample. I get it. I mean, you know, they were being sued at the time. That's fine. Whatever. But point is, Vanilla Ice is not. There's way more uh, like white rappers. Yeah. Right. And it's actually like yeah, a cool thing like uh um i mean mgk for example yeah. he's he's all over he, he, he was a rapper yeah. genres mm-hmm. but that's like one person i can think of there was uh oh my god uh mick oh wow 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 the guy who died who was dating um oh my god all right you know let me knock on macklemore uh, yeah macklemore, macklemore. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, macklemore. Yeah, yeah, yeah whatever i'm gonna john stop. cena John Cena. Sure. <laughs> sure. Actually, I, I didn't see him, but what's up, there's, there's a, Yeah, there's a there's a few um there's a few English rappers um who are white. Uh, you got My Righteous who I interviewed, uh, uh-huh. Keiko, yep. who's a really yep. really good uh, good rapper over here. Uh, th- these are like political rappers who rap about the c- current state. 
Yep. Um, you know, so there's there's a few white rappers over here and in the hip hop over here. Mm. Um, maybe not, maybe not uh, mainstream, but they're really good to listen to. No, I feel you, man. And you know what's interesting? What I was thinking about when you were talking about like just Eminem and just obviously Swifty working with him. I was listening to the Rick Rubin podcast recently on Joe, well, the Joe Rogan podcast with Rick Rubin on it. And so Eminem told Rick Rubin, he's like, oh, you know, like 98 or 99% of the stuff that I write, I actually throw it away. And so Rick is like, wait, why do you do that? And he's like, oh, I just do it like to keep my mind sharp. So he's like, I'm always writing. I'm always thinking of lyrics. I'm always writing stuff down. And he's like, most of that stuff never makes it on albums. I was like, wow, man, this is a person who's really fucking dedicated to to his craft yeah hmm. most definitely most definitely and just think you know all them all them raps that he threw away you know yeah 98 of the, the, the raps that he threw away wow yeah right can that you imagine what those are yeah go search search the garbage to get the, the, the bins <laughs> i know man them. i was literally thinking them. the same thing yeah like prince for example he had a whole bunch of like music and music videos that were never released to the public oh, he had like a like a vault or something right. like that where he kept all that yeah. stuff i would love if eminem had like a version of that but i think he does actually probably just throw it out so, yeah that's so yeah. wild man you, you know so i mean like not to get off topic too much but it's sort of on topic i was watching the other day there's a documentary on Showtime about the singer Sinead O'Connor. And so, you know, if, if you guys kind of know a little bit about her, she, so what's so interesting about her, speaking of like political kind of activist type singers, rappers, whatever, what's so interesting about her is in the US, people here are fucking stupid, like literally fucking stupid. So she goes on Saturday Night Live. She like burns a picture of the Pope. Fucking who cares, right? Because like to protest, you know, uh, whatever it was, um, wow. How, yeah, ch right, molestations and like the priesthood or whatever, right? So Kim that slipped my mind yeah. yeah pedophilia right so essentially yeah. so she does this she goes and she burns this thing in effigy or not she wasn't an effigy it was literally just a photo of the pope and so all of these people flip out joe pesci goes on saturday night live says he's gonna smack her like oh yeah violence is the answer for burning a photo you're absolutely right fucking joe pesci so they kind of ban her right and then she falls off the face of the earth and literally now like 20 years later she's having this great resurrection here and you know i'm watching the documentary and the thing that i'm thinking of i was like you know if i could ask one like question to Sinead o'connor i would be like do you know that you were one of Tupac's favorite singers ever? <laughs> Fact. Fact. Which is yep. so wild. I was like, yo, if I ever get to interview her, I'll be like, yo, do you know like that Pac loved you? Like how amazing is that? Wow. Mm. Wow. wow. Exactly. And I think I think Pac's seen maybe seen that in a, you know, um standing up for what's yeah. right, <laughs> basically. Uh, and it's very similar with how he liked different types of genres of music where you wouldn't think he'd like, you know, liking maybe uh, rock music or you'd like to maybe listen to a bit of classical music. Yeah. You know, <laughs> a class, maybe a classical piece or, you know, and a lot of people don't know that. So yeah, it's a good point. Yeah. Good yeah, point. Man. But yeah, definitely uh, try to get that to her. Maybe um, see if Did she it? knows, see if she knows how, how, you know, how, how Pac felt about, you know, yeah, being a favorite you artist. And you know what's so dope about her is so somewhere in the documentary. Um, so I, I don't remember if it was somebody who asked her if she's just recounting the story. So it's something along the lines of she says, well, you know, so when I finally lost my stardom and my popularity and my shows completely dwindled. So she like she got even booed at a fucking Bob Dylan concert, which makes no sense because they're like, if you're booing her, why are you here to see Bob Dylan? Like he's like yeah, the ultimate. Like, yeah, he's like the ultimate like left winger. Right. So yeah. essentially when she lost the popularity, people are like, you know, oh, you've lost like your status as like a British pop prince 
incest or whatever. She's like, I never fucking wanted it to begin with. She's like, I never wanted to do this or be this person that these fucking record labels wanted me to be. She's like, thank God. She's like, I don't want that on my background. So it's it's kind of interesting that you kind of have this person who, again, you know, they're trying to build us, her up as like maybe the next Madonna or whatever. But she wasn't going for it, man. She was never that person. Mm. No, no, definitely not. I couldn't see it. I couldn't see her as uh, the, the, the Madonna or anything like that. She's, you know, she is outspoken and, and rightly so. We need them kind of artists, I think. Um, especially these days. These days, people are like woke, like super woke and get offended over over nothing. You know? yeah. <laughs> like Like you say, just burning a picture someone someone threatens violence and that's madness <laughs> mm-hmm. absolutely madness yeah man and then so i mean now touching on some of the people that you talk to behind the scenes which i actually for me was okay i don't want to sort of try to uh, kind of classify it but i did so like some of your interviews more with the people who are sort of more behind the scenes than the people who are so I just want to be careful with what I say because I'm not trying to disrespect anybody. Uh, but like, you know, with the people that you talk to in terms of like the rappers, like a lot of their stories, I mean, we kind of already know, right? So it's like they're great stories, but you can kind of find them in a lot of places. Like, you know, we try, I mean, I knew the tattoo story from like a million years ago, but I really like the stuff that you get from the people who work behind the scenes that many people don't know about. So a particular interview that really stood out to me was the one with Wendy Day. She shared uh. so much great information about Pac that I would have never even known about. I was like, wow, this is really cool. So can you talk a little bit about her, some of the things that she said, and obviously her relationships with some of these big players like Tupac and Eminem? Oh, man. Shout out to Wendy Day. She was just like an encyclopedia of Mm hip-hop. Honestly, she was an encyclopedia of hip-hop. From the ins and outs from the music business where she's going into different numbers, like it went over my head at first. I had to re-watch it. I was like, wow. And and she's she's brokered some of the biggest deals with, um, I think it was with uh, Cash Money. She was involved in, in that deal. Um, she, she of course, she doesn't want to take credit, but people credit her with, of course, finding Eminem. Um, yeah. of course, with the rap battles in ninety. Yeah, it was like ninety five. Yeah, ninety five. Ninety five. Yeah, the rap Olympics. Yeah. Um, basically, Eminem was ready to give up, give up rapping. He, he literally had nothing to his name, and um, he, he was riding on this on this battle. Um. And I think he comes second. I think he lost in in the battle. And it was Wendy Day who shopped his mixtape because he was handing out the mixtape. He was handing out his demo. It was Wendy Day who heard that demo, and then somehow that demo went from Wendy Day into Dre's hands. Wow! Somehow. So if it wasn't for Wendy Day, where would Eminem be? Right. Like, who knows where Eminem would be? But apparently, he, he said to Wendy Day, "This is my last chance." I'm I'm just I'm drop I'm dropping, you know I'm dropping rapping I'm giving up I'm just I'm just giving up on, on the whole thing, and that demo handed handed from Eminem to Wendy Day somehow handed up somehow ended up in Dre's hands and he got the aftermath deal. Wow! And, man. Uh, just just hearing that story was like wow that's that's epic that is really epic and she went into details with that and of course. She, she was uh, friends with Tupac and in business with Tupac, of course, with the euthanasia deal. And um, she went into detail about the death row stuff, how she was trying to advise him, you know, not to go. She wasn't a fan of death row. Um, mm. and she made that clear. She made that clear to Tupac. And and it was unfortunate how, how things ended up, of course. But she, she did confirm that de- um Tupac was leaving death row 
People say he wasn't. People say he was. But apparently she confirmed that he was leaving death row. Uh, he, he, he he wanted out of death row mm. when he died. And that, that was mind-blowing in itself. Of course, you've got someone here, like you say, behind the scenes, who's trying to do these business deals or go into business and make, make business moves for the likes of Tupac. And, and uh, yeah, Wendy Day was just an encyclopedia of hip-hop. She was... Uh, she was mind blowing. Yeah, what was cool um, is that she used to send him books in prison. She did. She did. Yeah, and one of the one of the books was Machiavelli. Mm-hmm. Um, so and, and she, she even she even said that you know I, I sent him the Machiavelli book, and I kind of said, well, you you basically inspired one of the most iconic hip hop albums ever. Yeah. Wow. You know, and she started laughing, and you know, I don't I don't think she gets the credit that she deserves. Wendy Day. Yeah. You know, she is. Um, I spoke to Raskaz, and he called her. He called her um, the 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 angel, the angel hip hip hop. Wow. I, I kind of agree. You know, she uh, and she's still doing it now with new with uh, newer rappers. You know, upcoming rappers, and she given she gives a lot of game out on on Instagram for free. Mm. And one of the, one of the things she did say about Tupac, how how Tupac, uh, one one of the questions I did ask her was, did you learn anything from Tupac? Um, she says, yeah, yeah. He was always telling me that I should charge for my services, so I should charge for giving this this service or giving or brokering deals. And she she didn't. She never she never charged. And yeah. that was one thing that Tupac actually said. No, you should charge because we value as musicians. We value this, and you should be charging. You should be looking out for yourself too, not just yeah. artists. And yeah, so that that's. One one bit of advice that Tupac actually gave to Wendy, which was, oh. I, think, I think was interesting. But how did she become a? I mean, if she mentioned it, obviously she might have not. But how did she become a liaison for them? A liaison for them. Yeah, yeah, for the for musicians and for like making deals or whatever with either labels or whomever else. I'm assuming advertisers or whatever. How did she get into that? Oh, yeah, I think she. Uh, I think she was in the. Um, I think she was in the media mm. media game. I think. And that's yeah. how she, she come about it. But she was very interested in in the, in the business side. She does go. She did go into that. She was inter- interested in what goes on, um, what goes on behind the scenes. Mm. But she she got interested in seeing. Well, she didn't get interested. She saw firsthand how artists was getting ripped off by you know pub- right. publishing and uh, by these these big name companies who were making millions off the artists and seeing basically seeing the artists get crumbs. While the the, the 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 big boys where the, the the record companies are getting the big checks, right, right. the artists who are actually putting the work in and you know were getting crumbs basically, and she didn't feel like that was right, and that's how, you know, she she was giving uh, advice to artists and and brokering deals. Damn man. Hmm. That's so wild. Like, yeah, it, so it reminds me, Rick Rubin was telling the story, essentially, I think in the beginning of, I think this was like the late 80s or maybe even mid 80s. So uh, he came up to, who was it? It was um some rapper. Shit, I forgot who it was. I think it was from, Pub- was it Public Enemy? Damn, I don't remember, but he comes up to some rapper and like just randomly, he's like, oh, hey, you know, like uh, your recent album, it's not as good as your first album. I can make it better. And the guy is like, uh, actually, I'm like signed to whatever record company. I can't do that. But he's like my brother, who's also on his way up. He's trying to make an album. You can link up with him. And Rick is like, OK, cool, I'll do that. And then he just randomly calls this guy. and He's like, hey, I'm looking to make a hip hop album. You want to do it with me? And the guy's like, OK, sure. 
So, like, it's, it essentially seems like that's kind of what Wendy did, man. It just, it's fortitude. She just went into it and was like, okay, cool. Here's what I could do. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And like I say, she's still doing it now. If you go on her Instagram and she's still giving advice, she's got her own YouTube uh, a YouTube show, which she gives free free game, basically, wow. to, to up, upcoming artists, you know, free advice. And uh, having someone like that, you know, give advice out like that and, and, and you know, as an artist coming up, because she was... I asked, I asked the question like, what what advice would you give an artist in the in this day and age where mm-hmm. you've got technology, you've got you've got basically uh, platforms on your phone, right? And she said, just just use that to be your best potential. Use the social media, you know, use your YouTube, Instagram, promote yourself, promote yourself all the time. You know, that's that's one one bit of advice mm-hmm. you will give artists these days: just promote, promote, promote. You know, which I think sound advice. No, it's really good. Yeah. So Jeff Jarrett, who was on our podcast, like I think it was uh, November or something of last year. So he on his podcast on the My World podcast. So he was talking about like what happens when wrestlers like chronically complain about their positions, that they're not where they are or they're not what they want to be on the card. Like they're not main eventers or whatever close to it. So he's like, look, man, he's like, I hear you. I understand. It really does suck to not be where you where you want to be in your professional life. It makes a lot of sense. However, he's like, social media is what it is. And branding at this point is what it is where he's like, dude, go make a social media account make videos of yourself work on your character essentially he's like make stuff about or make videos and whatever clips or whatnot about your character he's like do something with that and essentially what happens is you know when you get a following and you know for better or worse the followings are what matter most once you get a following and people start noticing you then you'll probably get a start maybe maybe we can't say that for sure but you might get you know you start moving up the card and i think that's essentially what she's saying she's like i must uh, i can't obviously speak for her but i'm going to assume the thought is that look we have so much more control over how we're perceived than we ever did because in the 80s 90s whatever in the wrestling world hip-hop or whatever there were these gatekeepers and essentially you were just you know right off the bat you were either in or you were out and there was no one between whereas now what's happening is that even if you're rejected some people don't even do it some people are like yeah i don't want to do that i'm just going to go off and like do my own thing Uh, another thing from the rogan podcast he was talking about andrew dice clay and so he was like he's telling dice he's like hey you know i want like my own tv show i want to have like a sitcom yada yada dice is like fuck that he's like go tour dude he's like you're a comedian go like go do what you do man and i think that that's very similar you know comedians had that avenue obviously most people at the time did it but the idea i think is the same now where it's like dude forget about like getting into hollywood forget about making these people happy a lot of times they're not going to like you like this is just the nature of the beast he's like but you can be what you want to be in front of the people and present your material in the way you want it go on tour and i would say that that could translate into go on social media go do like um i forgot the comedian's name he just like uh he was doing videos of like the bears games i forgot the guy's name i gotta look it up so he was doing videos of like him like like flipping out and crying and stuff after the bears he's a comedian so and it's like it just got it went viral like this stuff went viral and this guy wasn't like a pretty famous comedian but this stuff happens man exactly exactly yeah there's a way to yeah i think exactly what she was saying basically you know and um basically the same thing just promote yourself you know go and go do it yourself you know you've got an avenue there you know you got a brand to build you got a name you got social media that's your tools basically and that's what she, yeah she, she she was saying that yeah and a lot of times i think what happens is even the people who are sort of uh you know more commercial or they are kind of like 
you know promoted or whatever by like these main companies a lot of times it doesn't even work i think that's the thing that people kind of fall fall into the trap of thinking like oh if i like reach this certain pinnacle and i you know i did get through the gates or whatever essentially now i can become famous it's not that simple and if you think about wrestling i think that that was a, a kind of like a great sort of like window into it when you have like the juxtaposition of somebody like a roman reigns who was shoved down everybody's throat and then daniel bryan who like nobody wanted to put into the main event who just blew up overnight because people just like them they're like yeah this kid is great man so i think oftentimes man it's not as simple as like oh if we get through the gates now we'll become famous and then there's no real avenue like dude if you're talented man I can't say most of the time, obviously, because there's so many barriers to it. But a lot of times, if you have something to offer, people will flock to you. Yeah, exactly. Totally yeah. agree. Totally agree. Yeah, there's some there's some tricks to it too. Uh, we don't use some of these tricks, but like for example, like a title could be "The Shocking Truth yeah. Revealed," and then like a, a thumbnail. This will change everything in red and have it like <laughs> underlined. And like yeah. things like that, apparently, like really grab people's uh, attention and like yeah. get them to click and then look at the content. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. We, we got to talk about that some more. But, <laughs> but like, yeah, stuff like that seems to work. Yeah. Or using like things from like uh, what's being currently searched on Google um, Trends. Yeah. If you use like a word that's like being really searched from there and just kind of inserted into your title. That's yeah, like another yeah. way to get more views and, but it's kind of hard depending what kind of guests or what kind of episode we do. Cause you can't really be like, Oh, you know, uh, the pandemic, you know, like, and then yeah, yeah. like nothing related to the pandemic. Right. 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 But yeah. Yeah. But you know, we often struggle with that, like wondering like, okay, what's, uh, what's kind of the sort of sweet spot or the middle ground, because like, you know, content can be great, but I mean, if it's not really seen by anybody, does it matter that much? I don't know. I mean, Alan would argue that it does. I would say it's both. Yeah, it just it's hard. It's hard to do the latter. You know, it's like the self promotion stuff also only goes up to a certain point because you do need help. Like even with somebody like Wendy Day, I mean, she did help these people. It wasn't just like oh, Pac is talented or Eminem is talented. And boom, people are like yeah, you're amazing. Let's give you a record contract. Yeah, exactly. Fuck. This is a message to all the <laughs> listeners out there. If you want to produce the podcast potentially for free, but maybe one day for money, yeah. hit us up. <laughs> Season the moment podcast at gmail.com. No, but I'm kind of, I'm kind of joking. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, that's the only way I could think of if somebody wants to do a kind of pro bono. I mean, it's I like know. a startup, you know, they're like, Oh, we, we can't pay if you. If we do we start you. making money, please. We yeah, will yeah. give you, we'll money. give you equity. We'll give you equity in the, in the <laughs> podcast. Right. Whatever the hell yeah. that means. All right. So Andy, before, or as we start wrapping up, man, so what do you got going on for the future, man? What do you got lined up? Uh, there's a few interviews. Um, Hopefully, hopefully going to uh, drop, um, Soon on half on half an outlaw shows YouTube. Um, mm. we're still keeping on uh, Hip Hop Twenty Four, uh, which which produces some great content too. Um, with uh, Tupac Uncensored, you've yep. got interviews. I'm I'm actually trying to do interviews now on um, my Facebook page. Um, mm -hmm. I, I had one with uh, one of the outlaws or former outlaws, um, Stormy Coleman. Yeah, a few months ago. Um, yeah, you guys you guys got really tight. Yeah, yeah. Um, it didn't happen for personal mm. reasons. Um. Mm -hmm which we'll probably go into at a future date. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, Stormy got, we got quite close. I connected with Stormy. Um, I connected with him on a, on a level where we've probably gone through similar things. Mm -hmm. um, oh. I, on my first interview with him, I, um, I was going, oh no, sorry, my second interview with him last year, I was going through a lot of personal problems and just the things he was saying through my questions, the answers that he was given, 
he gave to me was I actually when I wrapped the interview up, I started crying after, oh. after because the, the stuff that the content that he was saying in 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 his answers actually helped me get through my personal problems. So after that, we obviously we went back and forth, back and forth um, through IG messages, and I actually really connected with him on a on a personal level. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and we, we was talking about him coming over here, staying with my family, wow. and and it got that it got that far, and you know he's a really good brother, uh, Stormy. Shout out, shout out to Stormy, and um, of course, listened to his music growing up, and and you know when he was in the Outlaws and. You know, just to just to connect with him on that level, mm. you know, it's something something different. You know, I I love all my guests. You know, um, but Stormy I connected with on a personal level. He's really really good dude. Really yeah. Good dude. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, going getting back to um, what I've got going on in the future. So hopefully, um, some uh, live interviews on my Facebook page, mm-hmm. which was just talking about content. Then, you know, with my Facebook page and somehow I've got up to almost 43,000 followers mm-hmm. somehow. So I've got a big, uh, big following on there and they're asking for me going live. So I'm, I'm going to try fit that in somehow. So if it's not on how of an outlaw or hip hop 24 or two pack uncensored, it'll be on my uh, Facebook page. So one or two got one or two interviews going up on there. Yeah. So yeah. And um, so yeah, I've got, I've got that going on. Um, I love probably building building for next year too. Yeah, I love that Damn. man. Yeah, and the thing again that, that I appreciate so much about your interviews is it's not the stuff that you norm. I mean, it's it is that too, right? It's the stuff that you get elsewhere as well, like in terms of like other interviews or whatnot, which is great. Again, because there's so many things that people wouldn't necessarily know where to find or where to see elsewhere. But the thing that really plugs me in is the stuff that you get behind the scenes, like from a Wendy Day or a Raskaz. Pretty much information that makes you go, "Wait, what the fuck? I would have never assumed that that would have happened." So that's why I think really for the most part people are drawn to your work is because you covered the book again the behind the scenes stuff the kind of underground stuff the stuff that like real hip-hop fans are looking for outside of you know just the fun stuff or the stuff that you get in normal everyday interviews man so i really appreciate that about your work mm. sure, sure. Uh, and I, I love i love that from you guys you know having listening to feedback like that that's uh that's really good to hear and it's awesome to hear um you know, one 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 of them that I did with with uh, Nina Nina Badrasha from yes 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. She um she went into so much detail how obviously she she was working with Death Row. She's not too far from me. She's about fifty miles drive from me. Um, mm-hmm. but she she basically came to Death Row. She was covering the riots in LA, and uh, she she somehow ran into Shug and she uh, she got a job at Death Row and became really close friends with Tupac and the, the story she was giving to from behind the scenes, that was mind blowing. That was, wow. I, I didn't realize, you know, I knew of her and I knew obviously Tupac, Tupac and Nina went back and forth and back and forth mm-hmm. once he was in prison. And, um, but the stuff that she was coming out with about the workings of death row and the day to day life of being in death row, at death row records, at that time as well with the, the golden era of hip hop. Yeah. That was that was a special interview too. Yeah, man. And that also reminds me because like we both had Loopy D on. And mm-hmm. for Loopy oh, D, right? Yeah, Here's this, yeah, underground journalist. And you know, he has so many great stories that again you would have never known. Again, the all behind the scenes stuff. So it's always yeah. great to have somebody like that on. Again, somebody who's not necessarily mainstream, but who does have so much value to offer in terms of the actual culture. And super quick, just that story of him smoking with Oh uh, Biggie with biggie yeah. and then they oh, hear gunshots yeah. yeah and he's like 
nah, you know, don't pay attention to that. It's okay. You know, they continue smoking. I was like, okay, yeah. that's cool. That's and then finally, yeah, they had to roll them out. And Loopy was like, all right, I'm out of here. That's normal. <laughs> yeah, club stuff, man. Yeah. All right. So, Alan, before we wrap up, final questions for Andy? Uh, no, I was going to ask where we could follow him, but that we covered that. So, I mean, technically, well, I mean, Andy's got a few places, though. No, that's not true. We should still ask. Andy, where can we follow you? Social media, everywhere, websites, just give it all. Oh, uh, yeah, sure. So, I'm Andy O'Farrell, so Andy O'Farrell um, on all social media. So, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, pretty much on my Facebook, I, I respond instantly on my Facebook. Uh, it's, a, it's a lot bigger platform, but yeah, Andy O'Farrell on all platforms. Of course, uh, hiphole24.com, uh, mm. com, and of course, alloforlife.com. Check out them websites there, hip-hop websites. If you're a Tupac fan, if you're a hip-hop fan, get on them websites. Um, Half an Outlaw Show on YouTube and Facebook and Instagram. Um, a lot more content coming on there. Um, so, yeah, that's where you can find me. I love it. All right, Andy, thank you Thanks so, so much, much for, for coming, coming on again, man. It was so great catching up with you. Always, always have time for you. Always have time for you too. And then, you know, it's a great platform. Thank you for the invitation. Absolutely, man. We'll talk Thanks, to you soon. Brother. Take care. Appreciate you guys. Take care. All right, man. All right. Always good to see Andy. So uh, if you guys want to follow us, you can follow us at Seize the Moment Podcast. We're on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. And on Twitter, we're at Seize underscore podcast. And on YouTube, like, subscribe. subscribe hit the bell. Hit the bell. <laughs> And thank you so much for watching. See you next time.